Hello, this is one of our old episodes where our sound quality isn't quite so good and we're a bit amateur. <laughs> yeah, now we're pros and we've spoken about a lot more things and our sound quality is a lot better as you can hear currently. Yes, yeah, so enjoy the show anyway. Thank On you. the show. <laughs> Welcome to the curiosity of a child. Hi, I hope everybody's well. This is episode five, and today we are going to introduce our first Guernsey Great. Yeah, so what are Guernsey Greats? Uh, Guernsey Greats are famous people from Guernsey, and I came up with that name. You did, <laughs> that's right. So, um, as you may or may not know, we are from Guernsey, which is a very small island in the English Channel, so between England and France. Yeah. And um, despite its size, we've had quite a few sort of famous people or interesting people from the island, um, but maybe they're not all known. So, uh, yeah, we are hoping to talk about them and learn a bit for ourselves and also um, for our listeners. Yeah. Um, and also, don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter at CurieChildPod. Feel free to send us a message and also uh, leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, or also on Podbean, Stitcher and Spotify. So you can find us all those places. So what have you been up to, Anton, in the last, well, since the last episode? Yeah, well, I've been researching DNA at school. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, I've been painting my cars, actually, because I enjoy modelling and painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a new mattress. Oh, and an elf on a shelf. Yes, you got that. Yeah. He scared you a bit, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, at first. But uh, most importantly, we've been getting ready for Christmas. That's right, yeah. Because it's already December, which is crazy. So can you tell me anything about DNA? We haven't done too, too much on it, but mm-hmm. uh, we've done a diet. Well, not really a diagram. It's more a drawing of uh, a double helix, which is what they come in. The shape, yeah. Yeah, the shape that they come in. and It's yeah, like a spiral, four, isn't it? It's like a yeah. spiraled ladder. Yeah, it's a spiraled ladder. A and T, which go together. Uh, C and G, which also go together. And yeah, you can't have the A and G. You have to have A and T, C and G. Otherwise... Yeah, they always have yeah. the same pairs, don't they? Yeah. What's amazing, though, with DNA is that um, because all living things have DNA, and it's like the instructions of um, how we're going to be built. And yeah. do you know how much DNA we share with a banana? 50%. Yeah, which is crazy to think that you yeah. are 50% banana. Yeah. So is that almost cannibalism if you eat a banana? Mm, 50%. Yeah, 50% cannibalism. cannibalism, yeah. Yeah. What's amazing about DNA, if you think about it, there's only four um, like different types. What was it? The A, T, C, and G? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you imagine there's four different types of Lego brick, yeah. that's going to be combined in certain ways. If you put them in different orders, you can create anything with them. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you? Actually, another good fact about DNA: everybody mm-hmm. uh, in the entire world is ninety nine point nine nine percent the same. Yeah. And just zero point zero one percent different. That's what makes us look different. Yeah. So you are half me, and you're half mummy, aren't you? Yeah. With your DNA, um, and actually, I've been thinking for a while to do one of those DNA tests. Where they can show you where you're from in the mm-hmm. world and how much Neanderthal you are. Yeah, we watched a uh, program on that, and there was like uh, this guy who did it, 
and he was like something like two percent Norman or something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing actually. He's um, it's your half Russian. Yeah. So I think it'd be really interesting actually yeah. to see kind of your mm-hmm. backgrounds and uh, Granny is from Yorkshire from as well. From Yorkshire, so yeah. And that would be interesting. Uh, Gramps, he's local mm-hmm. to the island. Um, but apparently there's from his mother's side, so your great-grandmother. Yeah. Um, kind of done that family line. There's meant to be some Spanish, I think. Spanish? I yeah. Suppose. Yeah. So that'd be really interesting. And then there must be some French with our names. Yeah. Right, so should we get cracking on with our first guaranteed rate? Yeah, off we go. Guernsey Great, Sir Isaac Brock, part one. Yeah, thank you. So this is part one of our Guernsey Greats. This is a new feature, which we'll be doing fairly regularly. Uh, so as you know, we live in Guernsey, and it's a small island in the English Channel, so it's between England and France. Now, we're not English or part of the UK, but we are British. And we have our own government, but are not part of the EU, but are part of the European community. <laughs> so it's a little bit uh, confusing to explain that to people sometimes. Now, the population of the island is just under 65,000 people, but despite our small size, we've produced some fine figures in history that have set out across the globe from their humble home. This can be our first one, and we're going to look at a gentleman called Sir Isaac Brock. So let's start with a picture of him. So this is a picture from 1809. How does he look to you? Very smart, and he looks like maybe a general from the army. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he definitely he in the forces. Like he's from, um, yeah, the army of some sort. Yeah, so this is a profile, like a side view of him here. Um, and he's kind of very smartly dressed at the time, uh, in kind of a fine kind of red uniform. And actually, you can't really see here, but he would have had around his neck, you know, they had those neckties oh, and yeah. things at the time. Um, that'll be important later. Okay. okay. <laughs> He's not actually that well-known in Guernsey, but in Canada he's huge, where he earns the uh, sobriquet, the hero of Upper Canada, for his actions in the War of 1812. Now, do you know anything about the War of 1812? Uh, no. No, okay. Apart from it was in 1812. <laughs> yeah, it was in 1812. Other than that, no. Um, yeah, so it was a war between the British and uh, America. Or the United okay. States, rather, um, where the United States, they invaded Canada. So that was, well, still is part of the British Empire. Yeah. Um, there, but I suppose it was more British at the time than mm-hmm. it is now. Uh, now, the war lasted from June 1812 to February 1915. And as I said, it's fought between the United States uh, and the UK, including Canada. But there were also some Native Americans fighting on both sides, or First Nations people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also burned down the White House. High fives. But at the moment with Trump in there, I think it's worth burning down. Anyway, back to Brock. So, so Isaac Brock is born on 6th of October 1769 in St. Peterport, which is the main town in Guernsey. The house in which he lived is now a Boots. And that's a chain of chemists in the UK. So you know it, don't you? Yeah. So it's in our high street and I can't imagine it being a house, can you? No. And I remember it's changed walk- a lot. Yeah. yeah, I remember walking around it when I was, would have been about your age. Now, he was actually his parents' eighth son. Eighth? 
Yeah, so there's a lot of kids, isn't it? That's nearly as old as I am. No, not his age. I know. He's the eighth son. He also had some sisters, but I don't know how many, actually. Now, his father was a midshipman in the Royal Navy, and his grandfather on his mother's side was the Lieutenant Bailiff of Guernsey. Now, he was a chap called... If I find the tab, here's a chap called Daniel Delisle Brock. And he's actually another important person in sort of Guernsey history. From what I've read so far, he seems like he really supported the island and helped the island out. So he would argue the rights of the islanders, um, modernising the island and bring it up to date when he was the, um, the bailiff of the island. And also his brother-in-law was Admiral James de Summeray. And he's going to be another person who will feature. So you know the, the yeah. summaries, don't you? It's, yeah. Because there's an exhibition at the um, museum about him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a really important figure in the island and he would, uh, he would have known Lord Nelson. Okay, back to Brock. Now, he was seen as a good student and aged at just 10, he was sent to Southampton to study. And he also spent a year in Rotterdam where he learnt French which was probably important because later in his life um, it would have been the Napoleonic Wars where yeah. we were fighting Napoleon, <laughs> who, he wasn't French, he's Corsican. Yeah. Yeah, but he was, um, well, he became Emperor of France, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He was also physically fit and he was a very strong swimmer and also a good boxer. And he measured 188 centimetres or six foot two as an adult, which is particularly tall for his time. Yeah. So it's still quite tall today, isn't it? Yeah. Taller than me. He was also said to be a handsome man, but on his death, his waist size was 120 centimetres. <laughs> so that's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, that's several of you. <laughs> now, when he was only 15, he joined the 8th King's Regiment of Foot, where he had an older brother who was already an officer. And he quickly rose through the ranks, purchasing the position of lieutenant in 1790 and becoming captain a year later. And then he transferred to the 49th Regiment. Now, back then, if you were somebody who was maybe quite well to do and kind of a gentleman or something, you might not have to actually progress up through the ranks in the normal manner. You could buy your position. It wasn't just on merit. Yeah. But supposedly people say that his quick rise through the ranks was... Some people say it's maybe partly luck, but other people say it's also down to skill and ability. And it's after you join the 49th Regiment where we get our first cool story. And he was challenged to a duel. (laughs) Okay, so um, now being the target of the duel, he got to choose the terms and insisted that they use pistols. Now everyone was shocked as Brock was a large target and his opponent was a very good shot. He also decided the shot should be taken at close range. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, his opponent declined this, and he was forced to leave the regiment. And because of this, Brock won a lot of support amongst his fellow officers. Now, the man who... I don't have his name, actually, but the man who um, proposed the duel against him, apparently he was a bit of a bully, and not a very nice man. Yeah. So he kind of stood up to him, which is really good there. Yeah. And he also came close to death again. Uh, when he became ill serving in the Caribbean. So this was shortly after. Yeah. So he had a few kind of scrapes in his earlier life there. Now you've got to remember, this is the time when the British Empire was really powerful. So think of Hornblower and Sharp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you picture those kind of series, which are mm-hmm. both brilliant. Um, so this is kind of the world in which he's living, in which he was an officer in the kind of British army. Which... 
Um, but at that time, Europe would be plunged in the Napoleonic Wars, and in 1799, um, Brock had his first active combat, and he was now a lieutenant colonel. That's during the Battle of Akmar, which is in the modern-day Netherlands. Um, and during this battle, he was hit in the neck with a musket ball. That must have hurt. So that would be a little lead ball, probably. Yeah. yeah so, and that's why he's probably saved by his necktie, his neckcloth that he had, because it would have kind of kept... <laughs> Yeah. Being closed. So, yeah. So uh, did it come straight in the front of his? I couldn't find out exact details. I'm guessing it was a bit of a grazing shot, which hit him. I didn't go through any of the important kind of arteries or anything there, but yeah. Pretty so, close. so uh, quite lucky there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let's hope he hasn't used up all of his luck already. Mm-hmm. Um, now here is a just a man in uniform, so you can see how they look. That's not Brock there. It's just from the era, okay? okay yeah. So there you can see the necktie around the neck. Mm, yeah. yeah. Big gun, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, now Brock himself said of the event, "I got knocked down, and shortly after the enemy began to retreat, but never quitted the field, and returned to my duty in less than half an hour." <laughs> so it's like sit, stop, or tied together. With yeah. the, whatever they did. And he was going, so that's pretty impressive stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, now, in 1802, he was posted to Canada, and this is where his most famous chapter starts to begin. But things didn't start well for him, and he had to deal with deserters and attempted mutiny. <sighs> yeah, so these acts, they weren't really aimed directly against him, but as he was kind of one of the senior mm-hmm. sort of ranking commanders or um, officers there, he had to step in and try and sort them out. Yeah. Some of the deserters got ordered to be shot. So that's what happened back then, if you were... Or oh, the, yeah. mutine- uh, the yeah. mutineers. Mutineers? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, got ordered to be shot, and apparently he felt a little bit bad about that. Well, at least he wasn't too... He... At least he has a heart. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he attained the rank of colonel in 1805, and for a time he was in charge of the entire British army in Canada. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, so he's he's... He's doing well. He's become important. Uh, but then, as um, I mentioned earlier, relations between the British Empire and the United States were steadily deteriorating. Now, you've got to think, America at this time, it wasn't the international superpower like it is today. It's still a relatively new nation, OK? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were starting to flex their muscles a little bit. And um, they were basically being bullied by the British. Because the Royal Navy, the most powerful navy in the world, we were able to control um, trade into America and we could blockade their ports and mm-hmm. basically kind of push them around a bit and tensions were really starting to build. Yeah. So if you look at this map down here, you can see this is America. So it doesn't go all the way across to the east yet. No, it doesn't go all the way across to the west yet. <laughs> um, so you'd have some territories that weren't claimed yet. So you'd have the states here. So this is Canada at the top. Yeah. And that circled bit there is Detroit, which we will need next episode. But if you look yep. all down the coast of America, so yeah. that was the British blockades, and Europe would be across the Atlantic to the east. So the British could block anything coming in. Now, the United States decided that the best option would be to push the British out of Canada so we could stop kind of uh, pestering them <laughs> yeah. and bullying them. Then Thomas Jefferson, he said that conquering Canada would be a mere matter of marching. <laughs> so you know what that means? Just marching to it. You just marching. There'd be no fighting involved, it'd be easy. Canada wasn't particularly well protected or fortified. 
but thankfully Brock was very quick to react in strengthening the fortifications around Quebec and also building a naval fleet to patrol the Great Lakes. So if you look here, particularly yeah. This, uh, you see the lakes here? They're, they're massive, massive expanses of water. It's mm -hmm. the largest lakes in the world, right on the border between America and Canada. So you actually, you'd have to have fleets in there. That's, that's actually good because British obviously had the best navy mm. in the world mm -hmm. at the time. I don't think you could send boats from the sea to there. They, no, they built it there. does seem pretty cut off. <laughs> you'd um, have to build, yeah, you wouldn't have all the... Uh, materials that you would normally have but there, there's plenty of forests yeah. and things there but you probably wouldn't have a, as good a um, crew as you might find in the mm -hmm. Royal Navy proper but then remember back then that it was much much easier to travel by sea than overland and much quicker yeah so actually controlling the seas or the the water or the lakes was really important for moving troops and everything and now by this time he had risen to the rank of Major General as in charge of all the forces in Upper Canada, but he was also seeking a return home to Europe. So do you think he's trying to avoid conflict with America? Do you think he didn't want to fight? Yeah. No, because remember in Europe, we were fighting Napoleon. So he was probably wanted to uh, oh, get stuck yeah. in in the real action, in yeah. the war in Europe. He was actually offered the opportunity to go to Europe, but he decided to turn it down, realising he had the duty and responsibility to defend Canada. Canada! Canada! <laughs> now, everyone expected Canada to be a soft target and to fall easily. But Brock quickly set about improving the training of the troops and the militia and seeking alliances with First Nation leaders such as Shawnee Chief Takuse. Yeah. I think, which I've... I've Pronounced wrong. I'm all for pronouncing things. Okay, so do you know what the militia is? And how that uh, differs to the army? They're not actual soldiers. They're just people who get... They live normal lives, but then when they need to get called in, they will, and they have... They don't have all the proper weapons. Exactly, yeah. They are basically civ civilians who have been armed. Yeah. So, And they might have had some basic training in defence. So on the 18th of June, 1812, the United States declared war on Britain. British only had the militia, one infantry regiment and some retired veterans and an artillery company, but they did control the Great Lakes, thanks to Brock's planning and building up that fleet. Yeah. Now, would this be enough to fend off the American advance? Uh, I guess we'll find out in the next <laughs> Yeah, that's part. for next time, yeah. Are you feeling confident for Brock? A man from a small island in the second largest country in the world? <laughs> No. No. Not really at no. the moment. But yeah, that, that's a good placeholder. <laughs> so what do you think of him so far? Uh, he seems intelligent. Mm-hmm. Tall. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like him so far, but he, I'm not sure if he gets himself into a bit of trouble, but he did, certainly did at the um, start of his Yeah, but well, it's funny because Apparently he wasn't that well schooled. He was a good, bright student, but he didn't have that much um, education. But they're saying that he he started to build up a library of books and he'd have all sorts of different things there. So he'd have things on military tactics and he'd also have, um, I think, different books and philosophy and stuff. So he'd have a yeah. library and he, he, he really valued education and continual learning. Yeah, so no fluffy unicorn books. 
No. Anything like that. No. Every, everything focused on education, and uh, he loves learning by the looks of it as well. Yeah, just like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A curious child. Yes. So, listen in next time for part two. Yeah, and maybe we might do a little play of the battle as well. Yes, because I have read a little bit ahead and there is a really interesting um, tactic that he uses and mm. I think you're going to like it. Okay. So uh, check out next time when we continue the story of Sir Isaac Brock on the curiosity of... A child.